Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Extra Serving, a Nation's Restaurant News podcast, our first of the new year. Uh, I'm your host, Holly Petrie. Today, we're going to be talking about C-suite changes. There were a lot just on Wednesday alone. Um, so we're going to be talking about what that means for the industry and what it means for the future of this year. What is, what's in store for this year in terms of C-suite changes? Is this just a sign of the future? And then we're going to be talking about wellness products uh, for the new year. Lots of green salads, lots of uh, the traditional healthy start to the new year. Um, are consumers tired of this? Uh, we're going to talk about that. Then we're also going to talk about rent delinquency for December. It was very high. Um, and usually a month when restaurants are doing really well. So we're going to talk about what this means for restaurants and what it holds for January. Um, but before we get into that, let me turn it over to my two co-hosts. I am Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief of Nation's Restaurant News. And I'm Leanne Sinsmeister, Managing Editor of Nation's Restaurant News. Okay, now let's get into this week's podcast while you are both very hungry. So uh, let's start with talking about food to get it out of the way. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. Let's talk about food. I like it. I'm pro food. We never do here. Yeah, why would we talk about food? I mean, we were just talking about chicken, but now it's time to talk about salads. Okay, let's talk about salads. And to and talk just about in salads, time for that, let's bring Alicia. in Alicia. Hi. Alicia, you what do you have to say salads? about salads? <laughs> I could use a few. <laughs> I hear that. For my extraordinarily gluttonous past two weeks. Yep. Same. Well, so, so basically a lot of restaurant chains consistently, this happens every year, this is not new for 2023, offer salads and wellness products. I mean, Chipotle is offering some new bowls that are focused on being healthy. Um, are consumers tired of getting this message? I mean, I feel like this year... Uh, so I belong to Equinox Gym, and Equinox refused to bring anybody new on for January 1st. They said that it's this is not what we're about. We're not starting new changes. And so I think that consumers are kind of leaning more toward this kind of not wanting to have this new start anymore. I think the consumer landscape is changing. What do you guys think? Equinox doesn't want new customers? What? <laughs> is that how Just I heard January that? For just January 1st. January 2nd, they let on new people. But January 1st, they were like, no, new people. Okay, that sounds so the like gym... a marketing thing in itself. That sounds like uh, now we're marketing toward people who hate New Year's. And it's working because we're talking about it, I guess. Uh, because and we don't even cover Equinox. Uh, why would a gym say no new customers on the week of their best business of the year? Uh, I guess we'll to answer your question, Holly. No, I don't think customers are over it. I think this is a rite of passage every year where... Every year, uh, you know, we talk about, like Alicia just did, and I concurred that I need to diet. I ate way too much <laughs> over the holiday, and it's top of mind that I do not take care of myself. Therefore, this is when we all think about it. It's most top of mind for us. That will never be uh, any different. Um, and restaurants are reaping the rewards of that by offering new salads and bowls and healthy things to remind customers, hey, you're dieting now because it's New Year's and you have a New Year's resolution. Why not do so with us? Yeah, I think if customers weren't interested in this, then restaurant brands wouldn't be doing it. Um, and also notably, the ones that we've really seen this week, Chipotle, Sweet Green, um, are the two that I'm thinking of, are those fast casual brands that lead into this health and wellness thing anyway any chance they get. Maybe Chipotle, not so much, but Fast Casual as a segment 
excuse that way these days, especially with the salads. Um, so I think that's notable. And yeah, I mean, there must be consumers out there who are interested in this and doing it this way and who are all over these promotions. Yeah, can I can I add that I think that this is actually gonna going in the opposite direction where consumers aren't tired of it. In fact, they're becoming more interested in it. And I mean, it, everything right now is about millennials and Gen Z. They have the most spending power. They're starting to have families. Um, you know, brands are aggressively pursuing, especially Gen Z. Um, and, and these consumers are far more sophisticated about what they put into their bodies than. Gen X and above, <laughs> um, you know, and, and and this has been reflected in countless surveys. They 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 understand that processed food is bad for them. They understand how crappy they feel, um, and how food can make a difference in in sort of changing that. Um, that you know, I I, I think and and in in those countless surveys, they have noted that they want to eat healthy in January and July whatever overall and you know we see this in reflected it in the, it, gen z drinks less alcohol than their predecessors and weirdos. you know I, yeah weirdos <laughs> i don't get it i don't get Honestly. it um but but you know we see this reflected not just at restaurant usage but in the fact that they do buy less processed food at the grocery store the fact that they do you have less interest in alcohol and so on and so forth. So I think that this is a major opportunity for restaurants to capitalize again as those, you know, as those consumers become even more sophisticated about food, the food wellness equation. I mean, don't get me wrong. Despite my question, I still am on a diet currently, and I'm looking for a healthy salad to eat for lunch today because I did not bring my lunch. I'm glad you got from this that we were all accusing you of not dieting, Holly. <laughs> right, this right, is, right. We're not even recording. This is a Holly intervention. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Well, I'm so you know that's kind of what is going on with restaurant food. Now I'll move all of you from being hungry over to let's talk about some news. So we're, we're not going to be, because I'm getting hungry, even me. So uh, we'll move over to some news. Yesterday was a big, we record on Thursdays. Yesterday, Wednesday was a huge day for the C-suite. I mean, I think we had almost 10 C-suite moves in just one day. And big ones. We had That's some true. CEOs. We had some presidents. Um, Sam's going to go check my math. I, that was a total number that I threw off the top of my head. <laughs> I remember. I can name two. But, yeah, if it's close to 10, we're rounding up. Sure. We've had, oh, yeah. I and the C-suite? I counted before this call. We've had nine this week, which has only been two okay. and a half days so far. So, okay. yes. That's so I wasn't that far off. True. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the C-suite moves. I mean, there's some big ones. Uh, John Sawinski left. Uh, we have a new CEO at Blaze. Uh, but there's other ones, too. So what do you guys have to say about the fact that we're seeing so many C-suite moves in the first week of the month, or the first week of the year? I will say it's not unusual to see a surge at the beginning of January. Um, I looked back at our coverage from last year and there were more than usual the first two weeks of January. Not to this level. Um, as you said, nine in two days is a huge number. And they're big, big names from big, big companies. Um, but overall, the, the volume doesn't necessarily surprise me. But yeah, there's some interesting things going on. A lot of these, the bigger ones especially, have been I think a long time coming under wraps. Um, I mean, there's been speculation about Blaze's C-suite for a couple months now. Um, 
the way the Applebee's transition was announced makes me think that they've known for a good long while that this was coming. Um, and they were all just waiting to pull the trigger. Um, and January 1st, in that sense, makes sense as a good time to, you know, release a press release. You don't want to do it right before the holidays. And they probably don't want to sneak it in a month ago. Yeah, you don't want to news dump uh, that John Sawinski is leaving Applebee's uh, <laughs> on a Friday at 5 p.m. Although, I mean, sure. Twenty-third. <laughs> you know, sometimes there could be an argument for it. If, I mean, obviously, a news dump uh, is is a strategy when you don't want a lot of people to see the news. Um, so certainly if there is a not amicable parting of ways or an ugly parting of ways, that could be seen as, you know, holidays is a good time to do it because I wasn't checking my email and I don't think you Absolutely. guys were either, hopefully. So. Alicia But was, this is but not that. Alicia was. Alicia has a strange addiction to it. I, was but... I can't get her to stop. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the timing, timing wise, yeah, this is, I mean, probably to your point, Leanne, a lot of these have been in the works for a while. Of course, if your fiscal year is starting now, it makes sense to have a transition at this point. Um, and it's just a good week to get the year off started with some news. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't think there's anything weird about the fact that we've had a lot of transitions in the C-suite. Mostly I'm just thinking about like how some of these will transpire. I'm really interested mm -hmm. in, um, Beto, uh, Guajardo going to blaze pizza. That's a company that I think needs some help. I think they have a lot. I mean, they were once touted as being the fastest growing restaurant company in America. And, you know, now they're not even, you know, mod pizza is really, I think, taking the lead as a fast casual pizza player. So blaze does need some new direction. And I think, um, Guajardo is a really interesting, uh, addition coming from focus brands. So, so that's an interesting move. John Swinsky, I think we're still at the time you're listening to this, we might know where he's landing, but at this moment we do <laughs> not. Um, but you know, I, we all uh, have enjoyed our interviews with him in the past. He's a great leader wherever he's going is lucky to have him. So it'll be interesting to watch, um, what happens there. So yeah, in general, it's just, um, how do these things shake out for their new companies? Um, how does new leadership help to take a company in a new direction, particularly a company that might really need a new direction? Yeah, I, I did a story a couple of years ago. So my, you know, my, um, statistical data is a little bit murky, but the C-suite, uh, longevity in the restaurant space is between three and five years. Uh, you know, it's a hard industry. Um, it, it, and, and if you think about that, that number, um, and think about what these, these leaders, these executives have gone through in the past three years, we talk about the acceleration of technology. We talk about everything being accelerated uh, because of the pandemic. I think it's important to talk about the acceleration. Uh, I don't want to say burnout because that's that's I, I'm not speculating that anybody's going to a new job because of burnout. But we, you know, we are in the workforce. We know how hard it's been. And to you know, imagine leading organizations with essential workers through the past two to three years is unfathomable. Unfathomable to me. And I think that. You know, the, the turnover that we have seen at certain companies, the turnover that we've seen, you know, in the industry, whether or not it's anomalous, I don't think, I don't think it's that anomalous, but I do agree there seems to be a bigger uptick than usual. I, I can't imagine that's not some type of factor. Um, again, I hate being speculative, but, uh, you know, I just, it, you just think about the workforce and how it's changed the industry and how it's changed and 
you know, I think about John at Applebee's. He's he's literally done everything he could to right that ship after casual dining went through it and to get back to net new unit growth. And and so, you know, that that I think has to be something that that is a consideration with this conversation. If I may um, throw out a metaphor. Um, you know, it's, we're coming up on uh, NFL coaching carousel season as well. Um, which, (laughs) which, oh my God, we can't get into sports now, which, you know, I named my cat after Harbaugh. My cat's name is Harbaugh (laughs) and, and Harbaugh himself could soon be, uh, on an NFL team. But, um, Leanne and I know very well that this is usually, um, let's have the Cleveland Browns find a new coach season, uh, which is usually a very distracting week for me. I say this because the the carousel is truly that because you have all this talent on the market at the same time. And then, you know, but everybody just kind of, you know, finds new jobs and settles in new places. And so maybe there's some of that going on here too, which is just like, this is a time of year where there's going to be a lot of movement because there's a lot of, you know, talents on the market. And, and by the way, you know, we might, we might, uh, focus a lot of our labor attention on frontline employees, of course, but, you know, from a labor standpoint, executives are highly valuable too. And so with so many restaurant companies out there to find a, a, a good executive, I mean, that's a key, key hire. Um, the last thing I'll say too, is I, I remember speaking to a CEO once who, you know, noted that he, um, he noted his expiration date on his own job. He didn't say he was planning to leave, but he just said, I will not be here forever. I, you know, these men and women know that, you know, it's, it's rare to have a CEO stay in a position for 20, 30 years anymore, unless, you know, you started as like a cashier or you started the company. And so there's just some natural rhythms of transition that happen in executive positions. And and again, we, we just kind of see that playing out now. Well, another thing we're seeing play out is people really suffering from the fact that there's not a lot of business going on. Inflation is there. We're seeing a lot of jobs increase and we're seeing a lot of people have to pay more for their employees. Um, And so rent delinquency has been really high. I think it was 52%, Alicia, um, in December, which is outrageous. Um, So what do you guys think about the fact that all of these factors are contributing to restaurants suffering? in a month when they should have been thriving. I, you know, to go to the rent delinquency survey, I do want to note that that survey was a small sample. It was just over 3,000 operators, but most surveys are about 3,000 people, 5,000 people. I actually just wrote a story about the National Restaurant Association's outlook for 2023, uh, which included 3,000 people. So the, the, the rent delinquency survey has been a real big interest of mine for the past you know, they've been doing this, I think, since 2020. It's uh, It's been ominous every month. Whether we have, you know, 30% or higher, I mean, that's just a big chunk of, of um, people unable to pay their rent. And rent prices are going up because, right, we have an ecosystem. Landlords have to pay more for everything as well. Uh, so they have to you know, they have to take pricing just like restaurants are taking pricing and consumers have to pay that. And, and, you know, where does this cycle stop? I, I, I'm unsure, but um, I can tell you the outlook from the National uh, Restaurant Association was a little bit ominous with a little bit of optimism. And I feel like I've been writing about that for the past, since I came on board in October, uh, and well before that, you know, this year has been really interesting, and that's the only word I can use to describe it. Um, 
operators are dealing with higher prices. They're dealing with supply chain shortages, but consumers have shown they're still, they still have tremendous pent up demand and they're still willing to pay those prices. So it could be worse. I guess. Um, Love that optimism. Yeah. Yeah, that was some optimism. It could be be worse. And and look, I'll say this because I I think that this is a really important point. These operators have been through hell and back again throughout the past three years. They're going to find a way. They know how to be more creative. They know how to be more innovative. They know how to be more efficient now because they were forced to learn how to do that in in the throes of the pandemic. And that crisis is going to bode well for well for them hopefully um you know as they continue navigating higher prices is, is, that's my hope i'm curious to know how many people are following the elon musk model here just saying you know what i'm just not going to pay rent and see how that goes uh of course uh they don't <clears throat> he doesn't quite have a landlord like a restaurant landlord but yeah i mean i think this is a nice reminder of how we focus a lot of our attention uh on chain restaurants and and this is a a, a good reminder that um, there's a disparity between the independents and the major chains um, and, and even just larger systems, which is that independents continue to suffer. And as much as we talk about, you know, being post pandemic, um, you know, to, to Alicia's point, they've been to hell and back, but they also they're not all the way back. Right. They're still a little bit in hell. There's still so much going on. And so so again, um, uh, just a reminder, and we've talked about the RRF. Um, on this podcast before and how much there is still a need for so many restaurants out there. And it's a lot of these independents that it's not necessarily that they can't get business back. It's just that they're dealing with this, that, and the other things still. And so when you add to that um, the uh, rising interest rates and inflation and rising food costs, um, just so many factors, um, then rent becomes one of those things, which they, they might just fall back on. And unfortunately, not a lot of there's a lot of, uh, you know, not so great landlords out there. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that rent delinquency doesn't lead to lots of uh, restaurant closures. Hopefully they're finding solutions, working with landlords. I think this would be as good as time as any. If you're a restaurant landlord, have some compassion just because um, just knowing what your your restaurant tenants are going through and, and will continue to go through. I think there's still there is optimism. There's relief on the other side. Yes, we're probably going into recession, but there's you know, that could uh, bring with it some some relief, too. So hopefully we'll see some of that in 2023. Relief in 2023. Hope in 2023. <laughs> That's what we're, that's a beautiful note to end on guys. What a, what a positive ending to our podcast. Go us optimism, right? I feel like that was a great way to end it. I'm so proud of us for being optimistic. I mean, Leanne's not talking, so uh, maybe that's why. I think she's, I think she's weeping. I think she's not talking because she's crying from how, how hard things are, but I think it's interesting that your takeaway was that we ended on optimism when Sam mentioned that we're probably going into a recession. Look at the bright side though. So McDonald's is going to kick some ass. <laughs> they always do. Good you know, for that. Yeah. They, they're struggling. On. I worry. I worry. <laughs> I did go to McDonald's in London, and it was incredible. So I will say. That's what you said. I'm fascinated I, by that. It was incredible. So I will, I will say. They also have a, a very robust McPlant platform over there, and mm-hmm. I'm really super jealous of that. But apparently it's a different product. I was trying to figure out if I could do a story about why the McPlant won't catch on here when it's thriving and, 
European markets, but they won't talk to me about it. Well, so McDonald's, yeah. McDonald's, if you're listening, Alicia yes. would like to talk to you about your McPlant. Let us tell that story. Uh, <laughs> let us let us tell your story, McDonald's. You've been so quiet. Nobody knows anything about McDonald's. Just kidding. Everybody knows everything about them. Um, well, Stu, guys, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been lovely. A real pleasure. Um, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy Cheers. New Year. Sorry. Happy New Year. So uh, welcome to the podcast, guys. Um, if you could just start by introducing yourselves, and then you can introduce the concept. Sure, sure. Well, I'm James Winden, and this is my wife. Joanna Winden. And we are the founders of Buena, Buena Papa, Papa Fry Bar. So Buena Papa, um, uh, translated, first of, all, first of all, it's a Spanish term. Uh, translated, it means good potato, okay? And we are a French fry concept, so we're a French fry bar. It's kind of like Chipotle, but with fries. And make it simple to all the people out there that, to help them understand. So we do um, fresh-made gourmet hand-cut fries daily. Um, and we have a, fry, a secret fry process that makes them nice and crispy on the outside and creamy on the inside. Uh, but what's really fun about us is we do a lot of wacky toppings and a lot of premium toppings. Um, so it's a super loaded fry. Um, don't think just bacon bits because that's not it. Um, our concept has a Latin flair to it. So we do um, Latin, uh, famous Latin dishes from different countries on top of fries. I know it sounds a little bit wonky, but it's so tasty, so delicious. And uh, it's been going really well so far. Yes. Uh, we've been in business for about two years now. And we are we have three restaurants open and um, working on fourth and fifth right now. So it's been a wild ride so far. You guys are making me so hungry. It's lunchtime right now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I could go for some we'll fries. We'll send this to your office. We'll send this to your office. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, you've been in business for two years. How did you mm -hmm. start during the pandemic? That's insane. No one would oh, think that. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So, so first of all, we're crazy. Now, just to settle that from the beginning, we're just crazy. Um, it's a funny story. So, we're at home during the pandemic. Like, everybody is closed down. We're just at home. And what was everybody doing during the pandemic? They were cooking. Everyone's making brownies, making cookies. So at that time, um, you know, I just started make, learning things off of TikTok and, and Instagram and, and, and watching those recipes. And I saw a recipe for uh, homemade fries. So I was making this recipe with the kids, uh, you know, fresh cut fries, ordered it off on Amazon, a little cutter, you know, and we're making the fries at home. And it's delicious. And um, just to give some background, my wife is from South America, Colombia. And I love the food from Colombia. Of course, I love my wife. And there's this one famous dish that we absolutely love. It's called El Bandeja Paisa. Oh, I said it wrong. <laughs> Still working on my Spanish. Um, but that translates to the uh, to the country's platter. So it's like the famous platter of the country. And it has a fried pork belly. It has a sausage that's a Colombian sausage called chorizo. Um, delicious beans. Just everything. So with guacamole, avocado. -y. And so we wanted to make this dish one day during the pandemic. So she's making the dish. She's getting all the, the meat ready and all this stuff. But remember in the pandemic, there was a lot of shortages. So one of the shortages were rice. Yeah. So this dish requires rice as its uh, carb. And we didn't have it that day. And I said, hey, honey, why don't you just use the fries we we're making? We'll just use that as the carb, you know? So um, she was like, that's a pretty crazy idea. Yeah, but that's kind of crazy. We'll make it work. But, but yeah, we mm -hmm. had hungry kids looking at us. And as parents, we wanted to make it work. Yeah. So so we took all these tasty ingredients from this bandeja paisa, the, the fried pork belly, the sausage, the beans, 
the guacamole, and we put it on top of fries. And uh, the fries that we had learned how to make. And it was delicious. Like, we were, like... It was, it was really good. Right? So, you know, of course, all those juices from the meats kind of just yeah. soaked into the fry, and it just made it so good. So we just ate it, and I was like... And the kids are raving over this thing. I'm like, wow, this is really tasty. Yeah. So my business, I have a business background. Um, my business mind started rolling. I was like, wait a minute. You might have a business here. You know, I didn't tell anybody at this point. Um, so at that point, I was like, I may have a business here. I was like, what other recipes can I put on top of fries? And I didn't mention it to anybody, but I just started researching. So I went to Puerto Rico first and, you know, online, of course, and read about their famous dish, which is uh, called pernil, which is a uh, roast uh, pork shoulder. So I was like, maybe we could put that on top of fries. And then went to Mexico and um, online, of course, and we read about the carne asada and how we can put that on top of fries. So anyway, I made these six or seven different ideas. And I told my family like two weeks later, hey, we're going to have fries for dinner again tonight, guys. And they're like, all right. The kids <laughs> yeah, are like, who doesn't love fries? <laughs> you know? So, so, so anyway, they're, they're sitting at the table and I start serving up these different dishes. So I serve up the Colombian dish that we made. I serve up the Mexican one now, the new one, the, uh, the Puerto Rican one. We even made a Greek and Italian one. And, you know, these kids are eating it. My wife's eating, my mom's eating it. And everyone's like, oh my God, is, is there extras? And, you know, yeah, right? So good. Yeah. So, so good. And um, so in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, I think we're on to something. I think I'm on to something. So everyone finishes eating and I'm like, guys, guess what? And I said, we're going to make a new business. And everyone's like, huh? And I said, really? And I was like, wow. yeah. I was like, we're going to the fry business. He's like, how? And I was like, let me figure it out, right? So, so after that night, I knew I had a concept, but now it's like, how do you develop this into a business? So over the next couple of weeks and months, I started working on that plan. So that's kind of how it was born. That's super interesting that you have this business background. That's something mm -hmm. that a lot of restaurant owners need and don't necessarily have. It's why they bring on COOs. Um, and so it's really interesting to hear that you kind of already have this built in. I mean, so what what was your plan? What did you do? I'm, I need Very to interesting. <laughs> okay. So so my background is in marketing, uh, first of all, and uh, I've been a serial entrepreneur since 18. Um, I come from an entertainment background and opened three or four businesses that I sold and um, really successful. Um but anyway, so I knew that in order for this, I'm going to use a word that we use in entertainment to be sexy, right? The brand had to look very nice. So we started making, I started working on a brand before we even had the, the recipe solidified. So we built out a whole brand and we built out the logo and um, ideas for a logo, ideas for our mission and what we would uh, want to accomplish in this mission, our colors, our looks, you know, moods and tones and all that kind of thing. Uh, but we didn't have a name yet. Uh, that was one thing we didn't, I just, it was a fry company. We didn't have a name. So, um, and I'll tell you a quick story. So the name came about, um, my wife is, um, talking to her mom on Saturday morning, like they always do. And, uh, I'm kind of, kind of waking up out of my sleep and I'm over here in the conversation. I'm not spying, but I'm just overhearing. Right. So, um, they're chatting and her mom uses this phrase that I always heard them. He always heard her use, but this time it just sounded different. She was talking about a person back home in Colombia, and she was like, yeah, this person so-and-so is a buena papa. And I was like, wait a minute, buena papa. That's the name of the business. So I started screaming. And my wife was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I'm like, hang up the phone. I got to tell you. So she hangs up the phone. And I'm look she's like, it looks like a ghost has, has seen you. Yeah. And I'm like, no. I was like, I got the name to the fry company. She's like, what? I said, buena papa. And she's like, what my mom says? I'm like, yeah. yeah, it's perfect. It means good potato. But in Colombian vernacular, it means like a good person, right? Or it means a good time. 
So that name just kind of came in and just swept us all off our feet. And that's kind of how Buena Papa was born. Uh, the name, of course. Um, now, circling back, uh, you, you, you kind of asked about how this, how do we put it all together? How did it come about? So um, we build out the brand and now we're like, well, we need someone to buy into this. We need a space. You know, we have these recipes. We got this name now. So I wrote up a whole business plan. And uh, my wife was assisting me with this business plan. And we got a beautiful plan together about, you know, the recipes, the stories behind it, uh, the cost, all this. You know, we did professional pictures and we started shopping it around to restaurant spaces. And then we got a lot of no's, tons and tons of no's, uh, especially during the pandemic. But what the pandemic provided was a lot of open spaces because yeah. a lot of restaurants went out of business. Right. Mm -hmm. And we started brainstorming about where this would be uh, a good fit. Where would we be best at? And um, down in the South, they have a lot of food hall concepts. And I'm pretty sure you guys are familiar with that wherever you're listening from. But food hall concept, you get a lot of different tastes and flavors all in one space. So we figured, you know, if Buena Papa would work anywhere, it would work in a food hall to be introduced. So we went to our local food hall, which is kind of a, a nationwide, nationally uh, known throughout the nation, excuse me. And uh, we give them this pitch. We tell them all about Buena Papa, these fries, and how we're going to hand cut them and put these Latin toppings. And the guy was like, let's do it. Let's do it. And he was like, so um, how many years do you have in the restaurant business? And I was like, zero. But I'm going to figure this thing out. Just give me an opportunity. So he gives us the opportunity. And it was a huge learning curve. But I'm glad we got that experience because now we know exactly what it takes. And we can give that experience, that shared experience to others that are looking to get into this business. It's, it's not as hard as you would think, right? Um, everything has been planned out and laid out, and it's an easy product and easy sell, and um, it's been it's been truly successful for us and and, and overwhelming. It changed our life. Yeah. Changed our life. I mean, so what is next for the business? I mean, we've talked about where you guys are, but what's next? I'm huh? so excited to hear. Wow, wow. <laughs> so we got a lot of good things planned. I don't know if you can see my fingers are moving like uh, pinky in the brain, but we, we got a lot of fun things planned. Um. Like I mentioned, we were uh, we opened up three stores already. Now we're we're looking at Miami as our fourth store. So we're opening up in the next four to six months in uh, a place called Wynwood, Miami, very hot place. So very excited about that. And um, uh, franchises in our future. Actually, franchising is now. Um, we we've uh, done all the documents and we've actually uh, the ink is just drying on our first um, uh, franchise agreement. So we're really excited about that. Yay to us. But what we're more excited about is that we can bring this simple concept to other people throughout the United States that are like us, right? That don't have a restaurant background, that maybe have some money in a business background, but don't really, they want to have a unique idea. I mean, no, no knocking to Subway and all those other big time guys, but they just want to come to their town with something unique that's going to hit the ground and explode. And Buena Papa has been doing this in every market. So we're really excited. We've been having a lot of discovery days. I don't know if the franchising world knows about that. A lot of folks are coming through to see our concept. And um, there's a lot of buzz and a lot of noise around it. So we're, we're excited to expand throughout the U.S. Oh, my God. So exciting. I can't wait for you to come to New York City. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Come to New York City yeah, for yeah. me. I'm starved. I could use some You're fries starved? right now. <laughs> fries, you, they're a universal product, right? Everybody loves fries, right? And we get to introduce culture through these fries. And that's the fun part. Uh, we like to say that Buena Papa is not just a restaurant. It's a whole mission, right? We're going to bring families together, community together around something that's universal. A French fry, 
right? And you get to introduce new culture, new language, new foods. And we say Buena Pop is more of an experience yeah. than a restaurant. Because when you walk into one of our places, you're going to know you're, it's going to feel like you're on vacation. Like the time you went to Cancun or the time you went to Puerto Rico, you'll, you'll hear the music playing in the background. You'll smell different smells and flavors that you don't usually smell. Uh, you even get to play around with Spanish a little bit. Some of our menu items are in Spanish. So you have to order in Spanish. So we have a lot of fun with that. And the customers have a lot of fun with it too. So it's a whole experience, Buena Pop. That sounds so amazing. I wish you guys the best. Um, and I had such a nice time talking yeah. with you today. Ali, we appreciate you. Thank, Thank you so you much. Molly.